Welcome to Talk Plus Water, the podcast that takes a deep dive into the world of water with those making waves. My name is Todd Bottler, and I'm your host for Talk Plus Water. I'm also the editor-in-chief of Texas Plus Water and the Texas Water Journal. You can sign up for Texas Plus Water by visiting texasplusWater.org, and you can sign up for the Texas Water Journal at texaswaterjournal.org. Both publications are free. This is a special episode of Talkless Water today. We're talking with Michael J. McGuire, who for his entire career has worked for drinking water utilities or consulting engineering firms that advise water utilities. He worked for the Philadelphia Water Department and the Metropolitan Water District of Southern California. He has worked for consulting engineering firms for about half of his professional life. He has a Bachelor of Science in Civil Engineering from the University of Pennsylvania and both a Master's of Science and a PhD in Environmental Engineering from Drexel University. McGuire has received a number of awards, including the George Warren Fuller Award from the American Waterworks Association and two other awards from the American Waterworks Association, the AP Black Research Award and the Abel Wilman Award. McGuire was elected to the National Academy of Engineering for scientific contributions that have improved the safety and aesthetics of drinking water. McGuire is also a widely published author who has authored over 200 publications uh, and co-edited five books, as well as other collected works. In 2013, the AWWA published his book entitled The Chlorine Revolution, Water Disinfection, and the Fight to Save Lives. Michael, welcome and thank you for being part of this special edition of Talk Plus Water, focused on water and wastewater during the coronavirus epidemic. Thanks, Todd. Glad to be here. So let's start off with a discussion about uh, bottled water. Uh, People have been stockpiling it during the pandemic. Uh, Is there any evidence that the coronavirus is a threat to the safety of drinking water, treated drinking water? There is no evidence at all. Um, uh, There are disinfection systems required for uh, every water supply that supplies water from um, a river or lake, in other words, from surface water. Uh, Those regulations were put into effect in 1989. So quite some time ago, what is that, 31 years ago? Uh, And since then, uh, all water utilities in the United States that serve water from a surface supply that would be subject to possible contamination are required to provide 99.99% removal of viruses. Uh, Now, that's this regulation is based upon target viruses that are relatively susceptible to chlorine. Uh, And the good news is, is that the coronavirus uh, is susceptible to uh, being killed or inactivated, as we say, uh, by chlorine. So it's uh, chlorine is a very effective disinfectant and uh, water water utilities in Texas and every other state have to comply with this regulation or if they don't, they have to notify their customers. So when did chlorination begin in the United States? 
Uh, chlorination of drinking water has been uh, effective and applied in this country ever since 1908. Um, before that time, it was recognized that uh, water was the vehicle for uh, disease in this country. Uh, typhoid fever and cholera and other diarrheal diseases uh, were being spread by the use of contaminated drinking water. There was very little treatment, very little if any treatment of these major water supplies and people died on a regular basis from waterborne disease. In 1908, a physician by the name of Dr. John Leal uh, started the application of chlorine to the Jersey City water supply in, in New Jersey. This was all part of a, a couple of court cases and uh, investigations by Dr. Leal, and he had the courage to go against all of the engineering and public uh, judgment that chemicals should not be added to water, even though folks were dying. But in 1908, he, uh, and September 26th, in fact, he actually uh, turned on a brand new chlorination system that was designed from scratch by uh, a the finest engineer of his time, uh, George Warren Fuller. And uh, that chlorination has been going on ever since in Jersey City. It was so successful that after the court case approved the use of chlorine, the use of chlorine exploded across the United States. And that's one of the reasons why we enjoy the young longevity uh, of life that we enjoy in this country, because we, in fact, conquered waterborne disease. And one of the, the major effectiveness agents for that is chlorine and other disinfectants. So let's uh, get to one of our, our key questions here. Can the coronavirus spread through drinking water? There's no evidence at all that uh, coronavirus can be spread through drinking water. As I said, uh, there are specific requirements for coronavirus to be killed in water treatment plants before the water is then put into pipes and delivered to folks' homes. There are also requirements for uh, an active chlorine residual to be present in the water that is delivered to people's homes. And in fact, some people don't like the, the taste of chlorine. Um, in fact, some of them put in you know carbon filters to remove it. But having that bit of chlorine in the water uh, provides an extra level of protection, an extra barrier against all viruses and all pathogens. And so that's uh, one of the very effective means that water utilities use to make sure that no viral uh, contamination occurs in the water supply and, and would get to their customers. So it is indeed the uh, multiple barrier uh, protection against coronavirus or any other virus. So it's, it's clear that treated drinking water in the United States is safe during the pandemic. What about uh, sewer systems? Uh, is there any evidence that uh, the coronavirus is spread through sewage? Well, there's evidence that coronavirus can be found in sewage. Uh, this is uh, research that literally has been coming out over the last few days. Um, one of the ways that people can stay in touch with what's happening with all the developments 
uh, is to um, go on social media because a lot of the researchers are now publishing some of these initial findings. Uh, and in fact, on Twitter, if you use hashtag water or hashtag uh, coronavirus, you can get a lot of information on the most up-to-date um, research. And in fact, they have been able to isolate uh, the coronavirus in sewage. And some people are suggesting that that, um, that technique, that analytical technique, be used for tracking how serious an outbreak of coronavirus might be in uh, a population, in a city, for example. Um, and the problem is that detecting viruses in water is extremely difficult. And you can imagine sewage that has all of the other contaminants and interference uh, in the water. Picking out virus particles is extremely hard. So clinical um, tests, that is tests that are used on people, uh, detect uh, coronavirus, for example, in much higher concentrations because the virus is produced in the body. And so it's much easily, much more easily detected, um, and it's usually a positive or negative test. You know, trying to actually count or quantify virus particles in sewage is extremely hard. So we can't use it, at, I think, and this is my personal opinion, we can't use it as a, uh, a technique for seeing how uh, widespread a, an infection might be, in my opinion. but. We can use it, uh, we can use the current tests, the clinical tests, and that can be done, you know, fairly easily. And we're now, this is now finally rolling out across the country, and that's much more effective than trying to separate virus particles from sewage. So it doesn't sound like there's evidence that coronavirus survives the disinfection process for drinking water or wastewater. Is that correct? Yes, uh, as far as we know, um, there, um, I'm sure there are going to be uh, articles and research that come out in the coming months where university professors and graduate students tackle the question of um, what is the fate of coronavirus once uh, it's discharged into the sewage system. You know, we know that uh, people shed viruses uh, in feces, and uh, I'm not sure about urine, but uh, definitely feces. So we know that there's a, a load on the wastewater plant. We also know that the biological processes in wastewater uh, will inactivate many pathogens, uh, kill them uh, or inactivate them. And then there's the final disinfection step. So the question will be, once all of that happens, are coronaviruses present in rivers and lakes? And does that uh, pose any subsequent threat, for example, as a result of recreation or other contact with water? We don't know the answer to those questions. Um, some virus particles can be highly infective. Uh, and in fact, you know, one virus particle theoretically can infect a person, one virus particle. Uh, we don't know that for sure with coronavirus, but it's the kind of thing that we pay attention to when we do these research projects and we provide advice to policymakers 
about control and exposure in the United States. We're at the very early stages, as you might imagine, for all of this research. So thinking about other ways uh, people come into contact with water, um, you know, two that come to mind are pools and hot tubs. Uh, Do we have any uh, information about the potential for coronavirus to spread through pools or hot tubs? Uh, again, no, no evidence at all to this uh, point. Um, if pools and hot tubs are properly disinfected, they should be uh, safe. Um, but we just don't know. Uh, we don't know, for example, how uh, effective uh, some of the bromine um, type disinfectants that are used in hot tubs uh, are against uh, coronavirus. So, again, th- that work just simply hasn't been done. It doesn't mean that people should necessarily be afraid of uh, using pools and hot tubs. I swim every day. Uh, I'm lucky enough to have a pool in my backyard, and um, you know, we keep it really clean, as you might imagine, <laughs> and right. very well chlorinated. Uh, but and that's true probably for all the public pools. But the point is, is that there's just simply not enough research now in order to give us definitive answers. But we think because of our, our common and usual usage of disinfectants like chlorine, that um, we have made uh, our, our water environment safe for people. So uh, not everyone is uh, using treated drinking water from a, uh, re- a system that's provided by a city or some other entity. Uh, some people have well water. Um, is there anything that somebody should do or consider doing if uh, they are on private wells or groundwater? That's an excellent question. Um, we have no indication that uh, pri- private wells are being contaminated with coronavirus. Um, if there is a situation where, <clears throat> let's say, uh, on a farm, uh, if you know somebody has a well that's too close to um, their sewage disposal system, like a, a septic tank and a septic uh, drain field, they know that already. And they've already undoubtedly had their water tested and found out that that's a problem. And they've made those changes. All of those changes that we have made in separation of the waste source from the drinking water source for private systems uh, will now help protect everybody uh, from any exposure to coronavirus. So um, I think there's a very, very low risk, but we haven't done any uh, surveillance of private groundwater systems. So we will not know for sure until that work is done. But I feel confident that if private wells could be contaminated by coronavirus, then they can be contaminated by a lot of other things. And the folks uh, on those uh, private wells know it. So this next question is not uh, really your uh, bailiwick, but it's something that I I think you're you're able to address. Uh, Obviously, there are a lot of people who are at home and you heard all sorts of uh, uh, news stories about shortages of toilet paper. And so people are flushing wipes. I guess they are called flushable wipes. They're flushing down the toilet and 
also flushing other things, paper towels and et cetera. Uh, and uh, there are sewer backups resulting from this. Um, so how serious of an issue is this for the people who maintain our water infrastructure during a, a crisis like this? You know, people, you know, clogging up uh, sewage systems. It's a very serious problem. It has developed into a serious problem in this country and other, uh, uh, other Western countries that use these so-called flushable wipes. Um, again, if you go on social media and follow some of the wastewater utilities, they are publishing pictures uh, fairly regularly of, of blockages of sewers from these uh, types of things that are put down toilets. There should be only three things that is put down a toilet. Pee, poop, and toilet paper. Uh, that's it. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, nothing else. <laughs> Uh, absolutely nothing else, because those other kinds of things don't dissolve in water like toilet paper does. I still don't understand how flushable wipes are allowed to be used in this country, because in fact they are not flushable. If you want, uh, you know, I've wondered that too. I just, yeah. you know, I, it's it's been causing they've been causing trouble for <clears throat> a long time. I mean, it's yeah, been so years. Several years now, I would say maybe five years when they first came on uh, on the market. Um, and if you, if anyone is um, curious about how this happens, um, you can do a little experiment at home. Um, take um, maybe four or five jars um, and fill them with uh, water. And then the first one, put some toilet paper. The second one, put in um, just uh, Kleenex or uh, those kinds of tissues. In the third one, put a so-called flushable wipe. And in the fourth one, put, say, um, uh, paper towel, which would really be a problem. And let them sit for a while. And I guarantee you that in a day, the toilet paper will be completely dissolved. And that's exactly what how it's designed. Everything else is going to have a lot of paper residue or cloth residue, frankly, and that is what clogs sewers. And in fact, it's what clogs people's home uh, plumbing systems. Um, so I had a plumber come into my house uh, a couple of months ago, and uh, he, he actually said to me, you don't use those flushable wipes, do you? And I said, oh, no, oh, no. And he said, well, good, because we get called out on a lot of problems from that on people's houses. So it's a problem in people's houses, and it's certainly a problem for wastewater utility workers. And the last thing we need in a crisis like this is to give those workers a lot more work uh, trying to unclog sewers uh, from these kinds of products that are being flushed down the toilet. So, Michael, we're going to go ahead and uh, wrap up. Uh, Can you uh, give us uh, some more suggestions about uh, how people can find out more about coronavirus and uh, the uh, water system, water supply? I'll be glad to. Um, Unfortunately, uh, the list is kind of small uh, right now because we are in the very beginning of our understanding of how uh, coronavirus uh, occurs in water and what happens to it. In other words, what we call 
what's the fate of coronavirus in, in uh, water supplies or wastewater? Um, again, social media is where it's happening. This is where a lot of professors who are engaged in um, the uh, kind of research that we need to answer those questions uh, are, are publishing, not publishing, but providing initial indications of what they're finding. Uh, one person to follow, for example, is Chuck Haas, H-A-A-S, who is a uh, professor at Drexel University, my alma mater. Uh, and Chuck is a very good friend, and he is, without a doubt, one of the premier uh, researchers uh, on uh, 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 disinfection of those kinds of contaminants, not only in uh, water supplies, but also in plumbing systems. So uh, following Chuck is a, is a good idea, but you will also then run across a lot of other folks that are um, doing this kind of work. Um, you know, obviously papers are going to come out. And so the usual uh, investigations through Google and Google Books and Google Scholar uh, will get you those kinds of information. But if a citizen really wants to know what's going on with their specific water supply, they should get out their water bill, look and see who they're paying their water bill to, and then call up the company and ask. I guarantee you that water supplies, water utilities across the country are getting these kinds of questions now, and they should have read, readily available answers. So it's, uh, I think, important for water utilities to, for people to stay in touch with their water utility and, and figure out what's going on uh, and what uh, new, new research is coming up. They will provide it. Uh, so, oh, let's make sure we get this in. What's your Twitter handle? Um, it's at... Capt Doc Mike, and I'll spell it. <laughs> it's the at sign uh, C A P T D O C M I K E. In the beginning, when I got my Twitter uh, account, I was going to write about uh, the fact that uh, my boating and you know boating that I was doing off the coast and sailing, and so that's where the captain comes from. Uh, the doc is well, you know, supposedly uh, people call me Doc all the time, although I don't make house calls. Um, so cap doc, Mike. Great. And we're going to have you on, uh, in, in maybe this summer to talk about your new book. Just real quickly. Tell us about that book. Yes. I'll be glad to, uh, just in February. Gosh, why does February seem like five years ago? Uh, it does, uh, doesn't it? Uh, time is moving very slowly, but in middle, the middle of February, uh, the American Waterworks Association published uh, our book uh, called Tucson Water Turnaround, Crisis to Success. My co-author on that is uh, Marie Perthry. Uh, both Marie and I were involved in a, uh, the recovery from a disastrous corrosion problem in Tucson, Arizona that occurred 22 years before the problems in Flint, Michigan. Uh, everybody had retired. Uh, people were available, willing to talk to us, be interviewed. And so we were able to really get into the root causes of what happened, what caused this massive corrosion problem in their water supply when they changed from groundwater to Colorado River water. So um, the book uh, investigates what happened, 
what caused the, the particular problems? What were the managerial failures? Uh, what were the technical failures? But then also the recovery. And that's why it's called turnaround in the uh, title, because it was turned around uh, from a disastrous public relations problem to a point where they were able to provide Colorado River water without causing any corrosion problems at all, and finally reestablishing credibility with uh, their customers. So it's an interesting story, I think, and uh, I'd be very happy to talk to you about that at a future time. Great. Well, I'm looking forward to that. So thanks again for coming on to dance. It's short notice. I, you know, I think that there's a real need for uh, information about drinking water and the coronavirus uh, from people who have the kind of background that you have. And so uh, it's much appreciated. Thanks very much for having me, Todd. This has been Talkless Water. My guest today was Dr. Michael J. McGuire, a nationally recognized expert on the treatment of drinking water. My name is Todd Butler, the host of Topless Water. Let's talk water again soon.